From the great state of Ohio, Buckeye Firearms Association presents Keep and Bear Radio, fighting for Second Amendment rights, calling out media lies, and telling the gun grabbers to come and take it. Now, Keep and Bear Radio. Doctors should focus on your health, not your politics. But in recent years, the medical profession has become more and more activist, pushing an anti-gun, anti-liberty agenda. How did it get this way? Why are they doing it? And how do you find pro-gun doctors? That's what we're going to talk about on this episode of Keep and Bear Radio. I'm Dean Reek, Executive Director of Buckeye Firearms Association, and I'm joined by John Adeen, Pediatric Orthopedic Surgeon in San Antonio and Membership Development Director with Doctors for Responsible Gun Ownership. Hi, John. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, it's great to be here. I'm glad to be able to speak to your audience. John, before we start talking about guns and the medical profession just tell us a little about yourself. Uh, you're, you're a practicing medical surgeon, is that right? Yeah, I'm a pediatric orthopedic surgeon. I've been in practice in San Antonio, Texas for just about 24 years now. Pediatric orthopedics is bone and joints in kids, basically. So I do deal with fractures and I deal with congenital deformities, hip dislocations, club feet, spina bifida things, cerebral palsy, uh, sports medicine. I do ACL reconstructions. I do knee arthroscopy. I fix dislocating kneecaps. I straightened out crooked feet. My partners do straighten out crooked spines. I don't do the spines, but they do. So it's it's a very varied practice. It's it's uh, fairly busy, uh, and there's never a uh, shortage of work when it comes to kids breaking stuff. Yeah. Well, if if kids today are anything like I was, you know, I remember jumping off the roof of my home, jumping out of trees. I I love to jump out of things. Nothing ever got broken somehow. So uh, I, I never needed anybody like you. Yeah, I just I just uh, saw a kid back today that uh, was riding bareback on a horse and fell and broke his arm. Had another kid that jumped off the counter and broke the elbow. I mean, there's, you know, so yes, there's stuff that happens all the time. In Texas, we have a few unique things, you know, bull riding and things like that, that uh, maybe some other places don't see, but we see stuff like that a lot. So, John, how did you get involved with firearms? Did you grow up in a firearms family or go hunting with, you know, a dad, granddad, something like that? How, how did you get your start? Yeah, no, I, in fact, uh, my parents were Salvation Army officers, so there were no guns. I had an uncle that had a 22 rifle that used to, we used to go up and visit up in Connecticut. when I would, We lived in New Jersey at the time, and he would shoot a rifle from his porch and, you know, shoot critters out in the pond in the back, but um, I didn't have any guns. I really started with guns in 1992, right around the Rodney King riots. I had a friend that he and I used to play racquetball together and he dislocated his patella. (laughs) He dislocated his kneecap. And so he was out laid up. So we started going up to the, um, to the Oakland Hills that I was at Oakland Naval Hospital at the time. I was doing my orthopedic residency. And uh, so we, we did some shooting. He had a 22 pistol and rifle and a 380. And you know, then the Rodney King thing happened. And I said, you know what? This gun thing, I think I need to get me one of those too. So I went out and got myself a, a used Beretta 92. So that was my first gun. When I was on the USS Peleliu, the guy that I uh, 
replaced. He, he took me out and let me shoot his 357 revolver and things like that. But uh, when I when I was at Jacksonville Naval Hospital after I finished my residency, it's when I really started buying my own guns. And uh, when I went up to Northwestern Iowa after getting out of the Navy, I bought more guns. I bought my like a real nice uh, Colt Anaconda. You know, I had a bunch of SIGs. Uh, I got some rifles. Then when I moved to San Antonio in 1997, you know, I, I gradually got my concealed license and you know, you know, got involved in the gun community. Um, when it came to the Second Amendment part of it, I blame Mark Walters of Armed American Radio. It's his his fault, uh, and the reason it's his fault because he used to do these things at the uh, Gander Mountain stores that had ranges attached to them. And he would go and they would have, you know, you would be able to try guns and they had lots of ammo. And this was like in 2013 when there was a, you know, the first Obama ammo shortage. So uh, Mark and I were just talking and we, I go shoot and I come and talk with him. And, and he says, you know what? There's an NRA meeting coming up in Houston, just like now, right? <laughs> this is better would come up in Houston. He says, why don't you come to the NRA and, and get together? And, you know, we can, we can chat some more. So I wasn't on call that weekend, so I said, the heck, why not? So I did, and I went, and I met him, and I met Masada Yub, and I met a bunch of other folks, and and he says, you know what? You should come to Gun Rights Policy Conference. That's in Houston, too, this year. So I said, okay, I'll go to Gun Rights Policy Conference. And when I was there, there was a guy that gave a talk. His name, his name was uh, Tim Wheeler, Dr. Tim Wheeler from Doctors for Responsible Ownership, and like this is a, about the time when I was trying to work on getting carry in in our in our hospital, you know, because you know I get tired of of having to disarm myself every time I walk in the hospital, because there's the, they have the no gun signs, you know, the thirty out six signs in Texas, and so I said, well, maybe he can help me with this. So I I went and I said, Doctor Wheeler, my name is Johnny Dean. I'm a pediatric orthopedic surgeon. How can I help you? And he looked at me. He got his guys got really big. And he says, you know how rare you are, an orthopedic surgeon that wants to fight for gun rights? I said, yes, I, I want to, you know, what can I do? So that's how I got started with all this. Uh, since that time, I've become the membership director for DRGO, part of the leadership. I've presented at Gun Rights Policy Conference on uh, five, six years now in a row. Uh, the first time I presented, I, I kind of told my story of, of how I got hosed by my, you know, by by the administration of the hospital with this concealed carry thing, and you know, I presented my my thing to the uh, to our county medical society, and I got voted down twenty two to two. And one of the guys that voted down was voted me down was one of the pediatric uh, neonatologists. Well, you know, I, I set up some some training classes with a couple of friends of mine that were instructors and. Wouldn't you know, this guy showed up to one of them because one of his wife's relatives was stalking them. They, I guess they were trying to get money out of them. So it's kind of funny how that <laughs> kind of crazy stuff happens. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of uh, instant karma, I guess. So, um, you know, and I've, I've written some articles about, you know, guns in hospitals and terrorism against hospitals. I wrote an article, oh, when was that? 2017, I guess. It was in Concealed Carry Magazine about terrorism against hospitals worldwide. And, and I went over all, you know, all the terrorist attacks, uh, some of the stuff in, in Russia by the, by the Chechens and of course in the Middle East, you know, there was that horrible uh, hospital attack against the hospital in Yemen. There's stuff in Afghanistan. There was that, that hospital attack in Kabul in the green zone and in, in the military hospital there several years ago. 
So that, that, that's really my thing is the gun-free zones and hospitals. That's really my passion. And uh, the other, my other passion is teaching nurses how to shoot, you know, and getting them out there and, um, and at least exposing them to the, the Second Amendment world and to self-defense. So, John, you know, I've, I've always thought that it, it's interesting how so many of the professional fields are sort of left wing. You know, you've, you've got doctors, you've got attorneys, you have teachers. I'm, I'm not sure what's behind all that. How did, how did medicine, the, you know, the medical association and, and just the medical field in general, how did it start leaning left? Has it just always been that way or did something happen? Well, I don't know if there was a specific event, but I think that, you know, when the government started paying your bill, you know, when we had Medicare and Medicaid and stuff like that, people got interested in government and the government got interested in them. And I think that they realized that, you know, my bread is buttered by the government. I better get in, I better get uh, in bed with these guys. And I think that's where they shifted to the left. And, and of course, you know, we have this huge federal bureaucracy that has to deal with with medical issues and, and, you know, getting paid, you know, look at, you know, the, this, this bill that they're, they're trying to pass this, this, you know, three point whatever trillion dollar bill. Uh, well, one of the ways they're saying they're paying it is that they're, they're holding off on uh, pay increases to doctors and reimbursements to hospitals for Medicare. You know that that's one of the reasons how they're paying for it. So, I mean, this is the kind of shenanigans that, that goes on. And unfortunately, I mean, academia has shifted further and further to the left. And we've, we've pretty much abdicated that role over the last, what, 20 to 40 years. You know, it's, you know, we, we just kind of, we, the, the guys on the right are busy, you know, working hard and, and, and producing. And, and uh, the guys in academia are writing papers and, uh, you know, trying to shift the field. And I think that's where it is. You know, you get the American Medical Association and the American Academy of Pediatrics. They're very far left wing. One of my colleagues is a psychiatrist and, and their association is pretty far to the left too. You know, and um, you know, American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons, we actually have a couple of people that are on the, the, the board of counselors who are Second Amendment people. I'm not going to name names, but but they uh, we talk. Let's put it that way. And so if something something's going on that's anti two A, we find out about it and we can at least address it. You know. So so John, when did doctor when when did it start that uh, the medical profession specifically started getting involved in gun control? Because you know, growing up, not that Probably I was in the 1980s. You think in the 80s? Yeah, about so, 1980s. And we know that, and we know that because Tim Wheeler, who was the, the founder, uh, back in '94, he realized that there was a lot of bias in the in his medical journals and the stuff that he was seeing, and that's one of the reasons why he started Doctors for Responsible Gun Ownership. And he was in California, and then in '94, he was one of the people that testified in front of the the um, House committee that got the CDC defunded for, from doing for doing biased advocacy research. You know, the so-called Dickey Amendment, which is still in place, by the way, all those years later. Uh, and, and so and it basically prohibits, you know, uh, advocacy uh, research on the part of the of government against the Second Amendment. It doesn't defund violence research, as they, the left would tell you, 
you know, oh, they defined it. Well, then how did Obama, with his executive order in uh, 2012, have him do that study? And, and oh, by the way, did you ever hear about that study? Because that study showed that, you know, the defensive gun uses are much more common than criminal use of guns. You know, and it, and it kind of reiterated the, the Gary Kleck studies and things like that. So I find it amusing that, uh, you know, the left has no problem lying about the Second Amendment uh, when it suits their fancy. And if something comes up that it doesn't, uh, you know, fit their, their, uh, their narrative, they just keep quiet about it and don't talk about it. And, you know, and unfortunately, the, um, the press has abdicated their role in, in trying to find out the truth. And they're they're basically the uh, propaganda arm for the for the government now, and the government bureaucracy is running the show. You know, I, I, who knows who's running the White House? You know who's running the White House? It sure isn't the guy that has the name President after his name. I can tell you that he doesn't even know which which uh, you know leg he puts his pants on with first. In the medical profession, are there certain areas that are more anti-gun than others? I mean, like you're in pediatrics, but when you're talking about specialties or, you know, just family medicine or something like that. Is it just across the board or are there certain areas that seem to be a little more anti-gun than others? Well, I think that, uh, you know, like internal medicine and pediatrics are, are pretty bad. Their academies have come out and they're, they're out of the closet, so to speak. Uh, the surgeons, maybe not as much. Emergency medicine doctors, I think it depends on where you're at. I know several emergency medicine doctors who train regularly and, you know, work with the SWAT cops. And, you know, those guys are as pro 2A as you and I are. Okay. But then, you know, we have the, uh, the stay in your lane doctor, you know, at, uh, in Newark, New Jersey, who says that, uh, you know, we should all be disarmed, you know, because look at all these, the bloodbath of all these people, you know, not realizing that it, the, the problem doesn't have to do with guns. It has to do with criminals and criminality and the criminal justice system and the revolving door criminal justice system where people are arrested and they're let out the same day for major crimes because, oh, yeah, we've had bail reform now. And so, you know, because it's racist to make people pay money to, to get out of jail. The bottom line is that I think some of it's regional, some of it's specialty area you know, certain types of people go into certain certain specialties, you know, cerebral people go into neurology, you know what I'm saying? People who like to work with their hands like me are surgeons, you know, they, they like to do things. People who like to think and talk about things go into more medical areas. Pediatricians are just kind-hearted people, you know, but we have pediatricians in our organization too, or two-way people that are, you know, gun people. We have one person that, that writes for us and for also some of the other 2A publications who writes under a pseudonym because she's afraid that, uh, you know, her academy will come down on her. And so, you know, this is the kind of stuff. And, and I'm not, I don't blame her because I know that some of these academies can be vindictive. So tell us about Doctors for Responsible Gun Ownership. And I just want to be clear, this is a pro-gun group. Uh, made up of doctors, medical professionals, doctors for responsible gun ownership. So tell us about that. Right. So as I was saying earlier, it was founded in 1994 by Dr. Timothy Wheeler and several other people because they saw what was going on in medicine, that there was a significant anti-Second Amendment bias in in the 
the like medical journals and just the medical profession in general. And so they wanted to at least be able to have a counterpoint to that. Uh, and then they became, you know, a little bit more active and more active and, you know, started to make it more of a national organization. We have a website, drgo.us, uh, which has uh, blog posts twice a week. Our Facebook page, which is Doctors for Responsible Gun Ownership on Facebook, we put, you know, we'll reprint, you know, pertinent articles from other places with critiques. Our website has all kinds of phenomenal information. For instance, you know, if we ever get this suppressor bill thing going again to, uh, to get it off the NFA list, there's actually a paper written by ear, nose, and throat doctors, and, and several of which are neurootologists, the guys that deal with sensory neural hearing loss, about hearing loss and firearms and suppressors and, you know, why, why they're the best choice. That there's a white paper, there, and you can give that to your congressman or your local representatives. It's great ammunition. It's intellectual ammunition, right? That's the kind of stuff that we need. There's all kinds of just really good articles there. Uh, there's an article about the history of Doctors for Responsible Gun Ownership and, and them testifying for Congress. There's all kinds of stuff about, you know, guys like Gary Kleck. John Lott is one of our favorites. We love him. You know, we'll republish some of his stuff. But it's, it's, a, it's a really good place to get information. Lots of very, very good information. What do you do if your doctor asks you if you own a gun? There's another good, there's another good you know, topic there. Uh, I've spoken on that at Gun Rights Policy Conference. You've heard me probably. Well, uh, well I mean, yeah. tell, our, tell our listeners, because that's happened to me. Uh, my, right. my family doctor, I, want, I don't think he's anti-gun. I don't think he's pro-gun either. But, you know, that comes up. And I've had a discussion with him. And he doesn't quite understand why I'm taken aback by that kind of question because he doesn't ask me about, do I have a pool in the backyard or do I have steps in my house or or any of this kind of stuff where I could be injured? He's just asking about the guns. So if you're asked that, and I'm sure a lot of people are, how do you handle it? Well, the first thing you say is, doctor, I don't think this is pertinent to what we're talking about, especially if you're there for like chest pain, you know? Or a knee injury—that's that's not that's not pertinent. And they're being put up to it by their academy. And the other thing is, you have to remember we're living in the age of electronic medical records now, and so the government has can have access to those records. So think backdoor registry. This is one of the things that you have to think about. Uh, so you tell them, doctor, this is not pertinent. Um, you know, I don't think we need to be talking about this. And if they become insistent, you say, doctor. You know, um, there's something called an ethical boundary violation. And I think that we're reaching that area. And the ethical boundary violation is basically you're pushing a political agenda for your benefit, not for my benefit. Now, they may think that they're benefiting you, but they don't know anything. The other thing is, doctor, let me ask you a question. What organization certifies you into giving out information and safety advice to somebody about firearms? What do you know about firearms? Who have you been trained by? NRA? Which, which training course have you taken? Who certifies you? And oh, by the way, doctor, does your malpractice insurance company know that you're practicing outside of your scope of medicine and that you're giving advice that if I'm harmed, can I go after you and sue you? And will your insurance company pay for your malpractice or is it going to come out of your pocket? Usually once you get to that point, they start getting kind of excited. Okay, you can report them to their medical board too if if they if they uh, persist. 
And of course, the ultimate power you have is to fire them because it's none of their damn business. Well, you can ask them, well, doctor, do you sleep with your patients? That's an ethical (laughs) boundary violation, too. So, you know, I mean, if you really want to push push the buttons hard, that's what I would do. So you're talking about firing them. And and that's interesting you asked that question, because one of the things that Doctors for Responsible Gun Ownership does is set people up with pro-gun doctors. Now, that's a really interesting project you guys do. Uh, explain how that works. Sure. It's it's called 2adoc.com. The number two, letter A, D-O-C.com. And basically what it is, it's a, um, it's a matching service. So what you do is you go to that website, you fill out basically a request form that says who you are, what kind of doctor you're looking for, what kind of distance you're looking for, to uh, travel. And, and then what we do is we look at that and we look at our database of doctors who have said, yes, I want to, uh, you know, I respect people's two-way rights and I want to be a part of this. Now, the nice thing about it is it's not a searchable database. So the other side can't just go on the website and look and, you know, and, and vet, or, you know, and out all the doctors and then, you know, protest out in front of their offices. It's 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 a it's a closed system so that nobody can search it. Only we can search it. So your privacy is is uh, is maintained, and the doctor's privacy is maintained. And so if we do have a match for you, we send you an email and say, "This is the doctor that we found in your specialty at this distance. Here's his phone number, and you know, you please contact him." And what's the so, website for that again? To a doc.com. And, and we really need doctors to sign up for this, frankly. So if you're a, a you know, two-way friendly doctor, please go to the website and sign up. We really need, especially primary care doctors. That's really in eye doctors, surprisingly. You know, of course, you know, shooters, you know, we all have eye problems, right? You are wearing glasses, I'm wearing glasses. You know, it's nice to have a doctor who understands shooting and, and what it takes to focus on a front sight or a red dot or whatever, right? So... Uh, so primary care doctors, especially, and also, you know, op- optometrists and ophthalmologists, uh, although, you know, mental health is another one because of all this, you know, especially in places like New Jersey and New York, where they're, they're going after people, you have to, you know, pretty much fill out like a, a psychological health questionnaire and sometimes get clearance from a psychiatrist before they'll, you know, even let you buy a gun. You know, it's craziness. We should do that for congressmen and senators, too, for that matter, before we let them run. Well, we wouldn't have any then. That's that's the thing. But but, you know, they're treating a right as if it's a privilege. And, and the people who are try, writing these laws probably couldn't you know, meet the standards that they set for the rest of us, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> it's it's kind of crazy. So, so, John, I'm just curious, how rare are guys like you in the medical profession? Well, I think people who get involved uh, are fairly rare. Gun people in the medical profession, especially in South Texas, where I'm at, everybody has a gun. I can tell you that right now, or just about everybody. There are a few people who may not, but I can tell you that, uh, you know, people have shotguns. They, you know, they, they do, you know, sporting clays and skeet shooting. Uh, a lot of people have guns for self-defense. I can't tell you the number of people I've taken to the range to teach, you know, because they wanted to, to get an introduction and, and learn about self-defense. And then I've passed them on to other instructors to get a higher level instruction. But people who actually get involved, 
recently we uh, we had uh, constitutional carry passed in Texas, and I went up and testified in front of the Senate. There was one other doctor who testified, and he was pro as well. He was from up in Dallas. He was an ER doctor. So there are some, but it's not people who are activists, I guess, you know, and who are you know, really uh, going the extra mile, not very common, but that's in everything too. I mean, look at everybody else. No, you know, there are very few activists, people who really take time out of their life and go, go testify in front of the, the house. Or the well, Senate. I mean, one of the things that, that we find is, for example, is when, when we're pushing a bill here in Ohio, you'll have, you know, quote unquote, the police who show up and they'll testify against it, but it's not really the police. It's the police unions. So, you know, the, the, the frontline cops generally are pro-gun all, you know, sure, all over the state, but the unions aren't. Is it kind of like that in the medical profession? It's, you know, it's the associations or the people at the top who are against it. And I, I think to some degree, yes, it's the academics and the and academia and, and the associations, you know, like the orthopedic community, not as much, because I think there's a lot of orthopods that like to shoot guns, frankly, all over the country and not just, you know. But, you know, and like the surgeons, you know, we see people at their worst. We see the gunshot wounds. We take care of that stuff. We do the, you know, we do the trauma. We do all those things. We understand what guns do, but we live in the real world. We don't live in the ivory tower of academia where you can, where you can, you know, espouse whatever you want to espouse, but you don't have to deal with the issues. We're in the trenches. We see the blood and guts. We understand that that you know the guy who who's shot for the sixth time because he's a gangbanger and he keeps surviving because medicine has gotten that good that you know if you get shot with a handgun round you have more than eighty percent if you let's put it this way if you make it to the hospital you're probably going to survive but these guys are in a revolving door criminal justice system and they're not being they're not being locked up and they're just they let them back out again and off they go. You know, and so they're back in the middle of all this stuff. That's the real problem here. We're not we're not dealing with the social issue. It's a lot easier to blame an inanimate object than it is to deal with criminality and poverty and drug addiction and gangs and you know cartels and the money involved in you know drug smuggling and drug pushing. I mean, that's some big bucks. That's, you know, billions and billions of dollars. That's that's hard to fight. And, and let's face it, you know, once the politicians get a, get a whiff of that money, it's very easy for them to be corrupted. And plus, you have, an, 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 you know, an ideology right now of defund the police. The, these aren't really rioters. They're protesters, even though they're burning down buildings and they're killing people. But, but, but you know, we're not going to arrest them or... or hold them responsible. I mean, this is the kind of insanity that's going on in this country right now. And and frankly, it's going to get worse and it's going to get worse and it's going to get worse. And so that's why we're seeing how many people now in the last two years have become new gun owners. Millions of people have bought their first guns and are now gun owners. And so many people, in fact, that there's a shortage of guns and there's a shortage of ammunition. And so, you know, that's the new reality, you know, and, and the companies are, are are ramping up, but it's they're having a hard time catching up with the ammo. I mean, I've been able to find some here and there. It's more expensive than it was. The price has come down a little bit. But uh, you and I both know that that's, you know, 
people aren't stupid. They understand when the government says I'm defunding the police, that means uh, there's nobody there to help me. I better have to help. I have to help myself. now. And so people are, are, are kind of getting their wake up call. And, and maybe that will help at some point in time. We'll have to see. So, John, just to finish up, let me ask you, I don't know if this is a philosophical question or, or more of a pragmatic question. When doctors get involved in politics, do you think that that hurts the profession or that that hurts relationships with people? Because I guess from my point of view, I don't want most of the people in my life to be political. You know, when I go to the grocery store, sure. when I go to the doctor, um, you know, if I'm on public transportation or what, whatever it is. I don't want them to be political. I just want them to do their job. Right. And I think that that's fair. Uh, I certainly don't push my political agenda with my patients. First of all, I'm dealing with kids most of the time. Now, if somebody wants to talk about the fact that my room has ducks and hunting and, you know, all that kind of stuff, I'll be happy to, you know, just as a decoration, then that's fine. I, we have one, one, you know, hunting room. We also have a skateboard room and, and a, uh, princess room and a superhero room, you know? So, but, you know, I'm happy to talk to about people about things and most people are receptive, but I'm certainly not pushing an agenda on somebody. And I think people do appreciate the fact that you're standing up for them when it comes to their rights and their, their ability to protect themselves. But I don't, I don't wear that on my sleeve. I don't wear a DRGO card on my, you know, on my, you know, scrubs, that says, you know, I'm here to, you know, but people know who I am and know what I do. But if people don't want to have that conversation, that's fine. I'm, I'm, I'm and and John, I wasn't, that. and I wasn't talking about you. I was, I was more thinking about, you know, just, just the idea that a lot of people these days distrust medicine in general. I mean, look at taking your medication, following the advice of your doctor, things like that. I know tons of people who just will not follow their advice that, you know, they think the doctors are quacks and so on. I, do you think that politics just further degrades those kind of relationships? Absolutely. And let's look at the COVID-19 thing. This pandemic, quote unquote pandemic, whatever you want to call it, we've treated this unlike every other viral illness that we've ever seen in this country and in the world over the last hundred years. The normal procedure is to isolate the vulnerable, treat the sick, figure out treatments, right? That's that's the normal thing. What do we do with COVID-19? We tested people and said, go home and isolate yourself. Oh, and healthy people, you go home and isolate yourself too. And oh, uh, old people, yeah, we're going to take the people who were sick out of the hospital and send, send them to the nursing home with you so, we can, so you can get it. We, we're doing exactly the opposite. It's interesting that, you know, Things like hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin, those drugs which have been around for, I think in the case of hydroxychloroquine, 60 years and have been used safely all around the world, all of a sudden they're poison. In fact, France took, it was over the counter in France. They took it off the over the counter at the very beginning of this whole thing. Before even, you know, Trump said, you know, hydroxychloroquine is a good thing. They took it off because they used to be able to get over the counter because a lot of people traveled to to Africa from France and they would just they would just get the hydroxychloroquine for malaria prophylaxis. You know, and then there's governors saying, well, you can't prescribe that for this. What does a governor have anything to do with the treatment of medicine? Dr. Gold, who is an ER doctor, I think from in California, she was one of those one of the doctors that was 
that testified in front of the uh, front of the uh, Supreme Court, you know, several months ago. She was told by her administration that if you if you prescribe medication for people with with COVID nineteen, like hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin or whatever, you're fired. So how can we trust doctors when the government is interfering with the practice of medicine? And you know this this whole thing was a big power grab. So John, one more time, if people are interested in doctors for responsible gun ownership and the two-way docs to get hooked up with a pro-gun doctor. You want to give us those websites one more time? Sure, sure. So DRGO website is drgo.us. Also, if you want to join, you're welcome to join. It's like $35. It's tax deductible. We are part of the Second Amendment Foundation. We're like JPFO, Jews for Preservation of Firearms Ownership. We are kind of a subsidiary of Second Amendment Foundation. The twowaydoc.com is the matching service and it's confidential. We will not spill the beans, you or your doctors. Um, we will just, we'll try to match you up. Uh, but we need, we need a, there's a lot of demand for, for doctors, but we need more doctors to sign up. So especially healthcare providers, we would really need you to sign up and it's free. It doesn't cost anything on either side. We're happy to do it. So that's, that's kind of where we're at. Well, John, I appreciate your uh, being on the podcast. That's great information. And and you guys do great work. I can vouch for it. Uh, you and I have known each other for a few years. We show up at a lot of these, uh, you know, gun conferences. Uh, we're always there at the GRPC and NRA. I'll, I'll be seeing you in a few weeks, I guess. Right. If I'll be there. If you're going to be there. So I uh, hope to have you back sometime. And uh, maybe I need to talk to you about uh, being able to run some of your articles on our website because uh, I was looking around today and there's a lot of really good stuff there. Yes, no, there's a lot of good stuff. And, um, you know, just talk to Rob Young. Uh, and he'll, he'll be happy to, to tell you, you know, how he likes to do it. He's pretty good about that. But we're happy to share our, our information. That's what we're an education organization. That's what we want to do is educate people about medicine and the Second Amendment and how those two things cross. Well, John, thanks for appearing on the podcast. I hope to have you back again sometime. Keep up the good work down there in Texas, and uh, we'll see you soon. All right. See you in uh, Houston. That's all for this episode of Keep and Bear Radio. If you enjoyed the podcast, I urge you to subscribe. And please subscribe to the Buckeye Firearms Association newsletter at BuckeyeFirearms.org. If you'd like to become a member and support the work of BFA, go to joinbfa.org. Use the discount code podcast to get $10 off your membership. That's joinbfa.org. We'll see you next time on Keep and Bear Radio.